Best case ever. Best case ever. Yes, this is EM Case's Best Case Ever mini podcast series, and I'm your host, Dr. Anton Hellman. This month on EM Case's Best Case Ever series, we've got my colleague at North York General Hospital, a rising star in the med-ed world, Dr. Mita Patel, who's going to tell us about one of her worst cases ever on a topic that's received quite a bit of attention recently in the wake of a murder of a family doctor here in Toronto, allegedly at the hands of her husband. So Dr. Patel, welcome to EM Cases. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Anton. So this is a case of an otherwise healthy 39-year-old woman. I saw her in the ambulatory area of Janus General ED. It was a late evening. She came in with a chief complaint of severe right ear pain. She told me that her pain had started just a couple of hours ago while she was at rest. She said it was a sharp pain, initial tinnitus, some short-lived vertigo, and that had all resolved. There was no hearing loss. She also complained of some clear, watery discharge from her ear. She denied any recent URI symptoms or fever. I asked her if she'd been scuba diving or flying, anything that would change the pressure in her ear, and she hadn't. She also denied the use of cotton swab tips in her ears. You know, we see all kinds of ear trauma from the evil Q-tip. I asked her about a history of any other trauma, and again, her answer was no. All the while I was taking her history, I noticed that she never once looked up at me. She hadn't looked me in the eye. Her eyes had looked a bit welled up, and she looked like she'd just been crying. I had that spidey sense you get where there's something just not right with her story. On exam, her vitals were normal. She was afebrile. She was cupping her right ear with her hand and looked like she was in pain. So I took a look at her ear. It looked normal on the outside. She did have some tug tenderness. Then I looked inside her ear and she had an obvious ruptured tympanic membrane with a bit of clear fluid draining into the canal. The rest of her head and neck exam was normal. At this point, I had already began to suspect assault or domestic violence as a cause of her ruptured tympanic membrane. So I took her into a quiet room where we could have some more privacy. I started by assuring her confidentiality. I then said to her, because violence is so common in many women's lives, and because there's help available for women being abused, I now ask every patient about domestic violence. I find this is a normalizing statement. Then I started to ask her directly the three questions of a screening tool for domestic violence that I had began using regularly. I asked her, have you been hit, kicked, slapped, punched, or otherwise hurt by someone in the past year? The patient looked up and she began to cry. It was then she told me she had been slapped and punched repeatedly in the side of her head earlier that evening by her current boyfriend. She cried. She told me she felt so ashamed that she didn't want anyone to find out. She was fearful for her safety if her boyfriend found out she had told someone. Earlier that evening, they had an argument. She told him she was going to leave him. In the past, she was hit and slapped, but never had any visible injuries. Tonight, the pain was so excruciating, she had no choice but to seek care. Hmm. Sounds like a a pretty typical abuse story of, you know, that repeated escalating violence over time that ends up in a crisis situation in your ED. Absolutely. Sadly, we do see patients who have been victims of escalating violence, but I'm kind of glad that we were there for her to hopefully intervene in some way. 
So at that point, I asked her if she felt safe in her current relationship. She told me she did not feel safe, but she had no other choice. She was living with her boyfriend. She was financially dependent on him. She had no money. She had recently immigrated to Canada with very limited resources. Yeah, I mean, that also sounds pretty typical of these kinds of cases. You know, the the victim not having anyone else to turn to and being financially dependent on, on the abuser. Absolutely. So, I mean, at that point, I decided to offer her some support. I wanted to assess her safety and discuss her options. I encouraged her to stay in the ED overnight so that we could arrange for a social worker to see her in the morning, as well um, to arrange her safe discharge to a women's shelter. I encouraged her at that point to phone the police to report the violence and ensured her that she wouldn't be alone. Yeah, I mean, I find that kind of reassurance is really key in these kinds of cases. I mean, I understand that intimate partner violence is kind of a universal problem. Like you could even see it as kind of like a silent epidemic and that it also crosses all boundaries, all ages, all cultures, all religions, and even all education levels. Absolutely. IPV, it is a serious, preventable public health problem, and it's something that we can really do something about and make a difference. The ED is often the only chance a patient gets the opportunity to seek help before it's too late. Um, I was taken aback when I came across the fact that approximately every six days, a woman in Canada is killed by her intimate partner. Every six days, a woman is killed at the hands of her partner. So we talk about the miss rate for acute MIs being less than 1%. So I think about our miss rate for identifying patients who are experiencing IPV, and I'd probably say it's likely close to 100%. At the front line, emergency physicians, we can make a huge difference to a patient's life and even possibly prevent a death by asking three simple questions. There's lots of different screening tools out there with no evidence that any one is better than the other. The one I use is the partner violence screen. It's a three-question screen that should only take about a minute or two, and it has up to a 94% specificity for ruling in intimate partner violence. So there's only three questions that you have to ask. Number one, have you been hit, kicked, slapped, punched, or otherwise hurt by someone in the past year? Number two, do you feel safe in your current relationship? And finally, is there a partner from a previous relationship who's making you feel unsafe now? So we'll have those three questions on the EM Cases app and on the show notes. So this screen can be done at triage or in the ED by a nurse. And if the patient screen's positive, a useful thing to do is then place a small colored piece of paper on top of the chart, um, and that should alert the ED physician. Also, the ED doc can do the screen. Amita, it sounds to me that really... In all EDs, we should ideally be screening all women of childbearing age for intimate partner violence, no? Absolutely. Both the CDC and the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommend universal screening for intimate partner violence. So I'd say to listeners out there, if your ED doesn't already have a screening protocol, you might want to consider speaking with your admin folks and getting a protocol up and running. Some healthcare providers might be really uncomfortable screening everyone for this because they're worried that people will be offended by their questions. Mm-hmm. What, what have you found, uh, Mita, in terms of when you do use the screening, how do patients react? 
Absolutely. So, you know, I think in the last year when IPV, it's really come to light, especially due to recent events. So I started asking patients the normalizing statement um, about violence being everywhere. And because there is help out there, you know, I now ask everyone, every woman about violence. And every time I ask that question, nobody seemed to be offended. No one was taken aback. Instead, they said, thank you for asking, but yes or no was the answer typically. You know, one of the things I find that's kind of uncomfortable is knowing exactly what to say once I've discovered intimate partner violence uh, in the emergency department. Dr. Patel, do you have any tips you can share with us on what to say once you have identified that a patient is being abused? So there's a few steps to know about. Number one, I think you want to validate and empower that victim. Number two, you want to assess her safety. And finally, you want to set up a plan with the patient. So after a woman's admitted she's experienced violence in her home, she almost certainly feels vulnerable. And this is when what we say becomes really important. We need to offer support by making empowering and validating statements. So what kind of statements do I suggest? First, you need to validate and empower. What you are experiencing is called abuse, and it's not your fault. It takes courage to talk about your abuse with me. I want you to know that you're not alone. There are many others going through this, and I'm here to listen and to help. All right, so once you've said you're validating and empowering statements, the next thing to do is to assess safety, right? So how, how do you do that? I think you simply just ask, do you feel safe going home? Um, and don't forget, if there are children, asking about the safety of the children. Right, so that's validating and empowering, ensuring safety, and then setting up the plan. Uh, how do you do that part of it? I think first you need to ensure that any information that's given to the patient must be done with discretion so that the perpetrator doesn't find out. The reason is because violence is very likely to escalate if the perpetrator finds out the victim is planning on leaving. Ask your patient about where they could go in case of an emergency. Offer them information on women's shelters. Encourage them to speak to your ED social worker or to even phone the assaulted women's helpline. Yeah, Media, you know, we're in a really fortunate and unique position as emergency providers where we have the opportunity to change a person's life or even save a life with just a couple of quick questions. You know, I think we really need to start thinking beyond just the razzle and dazzle of emergency medicine and start to think more holistically about our patients. In a way, we need to think outwardly beyond the walls of our ED. All right, so I think the key take-home points to remember from Dr. Patel's case are, again, as emergency providers, we have a unique opportunity to identify patients who are victims of intimate partner violence. We need to start thinking about how we can screen every woman of childbearing age about intimate partner violence in a private, safe, and respectful way. Remember the three questions in the partner violence screen, and finally, offering supportive, empowering statements and connecting your patients with resources like Assaulted Women's Helpline and shelters in your community is totally key. Well, Dr. Patel, thank you so much for sharing this terrible case of a topic that we really should all be acutely aware of for every woman that presents to RED. And I'm hoping that one day in every ED, There'll be a screening protocol so that we can really change the lives of hundreds of thousands of women out there and even save some lives from intimate partner violence that seems to be 
everywhere, unfortunately. 